Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. At Sleep Outfitters Outlet, great sleep is a big deal. Save 40 to 60% every day on every Sealy, Stearns & Foster, and Tempur-Pedic. Queens as low as $249. Customer exchanges, closeouts, and floor samples. Inventory changes daily, so come in for your dream deal today. With no credit needed financing, expert advice, and up to 60% off retail, it's never been easier to get the sleep and savings you deserve. Go to sleepoutfittersoutlet.com for financing details and to find a store near you. Trying to grab all the groceries in one trip? Oof, not how you would have done that. You know sometimes less is more. Like when you drive less and save with the USAA annual mileage discount. USAA. Get a quote today. When I think about the track, it's it's so bizarre, really. And I didn't realize that it was bizarre at the time, but we had nothing to lose. And we didn't really care what people thought. We bought a model agency while we thought at one point. <laughs> Can you imagine? Yeah, we bought this model agency. Well, we were convinced we knew what we were doing. And yeah. we, we lost a ton of money on that. We started getting beaten up and hit pretty quickly after that event. Um, and then we just, because we worked in Russia and the East before, you can't argue with these people because you will get a beating and the coppers won't intervene. They'll let it happen. <laughs> Really an amazing pleasure because it takes me back to my sort of heyday on MTV, <laughs> which is wonderful. So I'm thrilled uh, to be here with both of you today. And Thank we're you. all of a similar age. So, you know, yeah, probably, we yeah. can be nice and honest and talk about our lives in a really uh, hopefully honest and open way. Um, right. One thing I wanted to talk to you about was really about your, when, when you were growing up, and um, what sort of music did your parents listen to? And what sort of music did you then start listening to? How did you react against their taste? Dad <laughs> right. didn't listen to any music. Mum listened to Dean Martin. Yeah. Uh, Frank Sinatra. Trini Lopez. Glenn Miller. Glenn Miller. Then we got some friends of theirs who, who now looking back, I think it was a gay couple. But at the time, you just... Because I was a kid, I thought just mates, but they went, these two guys went traveling. Oh, and, sorry, there's a top of the door. And they left us with a huge collection of records. 
at which point I got into early Motown, um, early Stones, um, a little bit of Beatles. Um, so that was what we were, when we were very young, that's what we grew up on. And then, and then after that, I, st um, I started getting into, well, we both did, we got into rock initially. We were Deep Purple fans, Led Zeppelin, Led Zepp, um, uh, Yardbirds I liked, um, Credence. And then, um, then I thought, I think through the 70s, we started discovering a bit of electronica, um, the whole New York scene. I thought bands like uh, 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 television, I liked a lot. We saw what about that? personally music? What music did, were you, were you pushed into uh, learning music? I mean, yeah. I remember as a kid, my mum, you know, bought a piano and then off I went and had piano lessons. And by the time I was 12, she sold it because I was so bad. Okay. <laughs> but but no, were, I, you, were you sort of brought up in a way that, that uh, they wanted you to play music? They wanted you to learn no. music? Not at all. No. no. So how did that come about? Well, we, just, we, sort of just, we sort of slid into it, really. I mean, Fred started playing guitar when he was how old? 11 or 12. 11 or 12. Mm -hmm. uh, and writing songs, and I remember thinking, and he would pass the ideas past me, kind of thing, just to see what I thought. And I remember thinking they, that some of them were pretty good, and some of the lyrics were good. Um, and then we just, and I think really the, the prospect of any ordinary job didn't really appeal to us, to be yeah. honest with you. You know, I couldn't see myself doing a, we don't take orders very well, which is why we have a big problem with what's going on right now. Um, so we, we tended to be search out an alternative way of living. And we, we initially ran a gym in Putney, um, but, but prior to that, we had been doing gigs. We started doing gigs in London in the late, mid to late 70s. We, we, we did a lot of man, manual labor. Yeah, but it was voluntary really. And, and it, yes. was, it, was, um, it was a bit like joining the services. What I liked about it was you met people that you wouldn't normally meet in any other way, yes. any, any other walk of life. You know, you met all sorts of weird and wonderful people doing mm. that. Um, but what did your mother think of you actually sort of pursuing at, at the start? I mean, not just playing music at home and playing the guitar, Fred, but yeah. sort of um, also then making a decision and saying, OK, we're going to sort of pursue this in some way. Um, because I could imagine that my parents would have sort of looked at me and sort of laughed, you know. <laughs> yes, I mean, I remember being taken for a walk by dad. Um, and this was probably about three years before the band, three or four years before the band took off. Because uh, he died before the band happened, so he never saw it. Um, but he took me for a walk, and he was just sort sort of fishy about, you know, how old you are, and and uh, have you made any money, and um, what you plan to do with your life, and that kind. He wasn't he wasn't being, you know, he wasn't saying don't do this or do that. He wasn't being, you know, confrontational in any way. He was just curious to find out what we were thinking. And yeah. Of course, you know, at our, at our, we were both in our early thirties when the band broke, and there sure. were and, and late bloomers. Yeah, we were late bloomers. So, you know, the, for them, for mum and dad, I think it was a pretty worrying time. Mm. You know, they, they were both quite tolerant because mum was a, a good dancer, and but mum was mum grew up in poverty, and um, so um, single parent back in the thirties and twenties and late twenties and thirties was quite a big deal back then. And they were always running from landlords. She told us how she used to live and hiding behind the sofa hiding. when the rent man came. Yeah, yeah. I mean the whole stuff and you know the sharing, you know, sharing clothes with her sister and you yeah. know, not always a lot of food on the table. Dad came from a bit of money, um, but after the war, Second World War, he wanted to be a farmer, couldn't, so he became a printer. So they both didn't do what they 
passionately wanted to do. They both had been forced or driven into not fulfilling their dreams. So when they saw us trying to fulfill our dream, I think they were more passion, more patient yeah. than they otherwise would have been. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's a really that, interesting yeah. perception because I think parents of our generation, which were war parents, yes. um, you know, they, they didn't get the opportunities that no, no. we did. So they saw that saw it completely different. They, they, did, they, they did very much. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, yeah. Richard, you wanted to say something. Yeah, no, I th and I think they um, they were much more, as Fred says, they were much more patient with us. Um, and I, I mean, one one of the things I can remember really clearly, with Dad, you know, Dad worked in London, so he was taking the train to and from London for sort of thirty years on and off, forty years. And on one occasion, you know, he struggled through the tube and through the on the train with a with an acoustic guitar, you know, in a huge cardboard <laughs> box that must have been an absolute bloody nightmare, yeah. you know, to carry into with yeah. all the you know the crush of people. Um, but he, he, there, was that, there was that level of support there. Yes, there was. Yeah. Um, yes. One of the things back in the day, um, and it, and it, which, which was surprising to me, was when they were at school, when they were trying to teach you, you know, music appreciation and how to play, play the piano or whatever it was, they never really made it clear that you could make money at it. That's right. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, if you can play the piano, you don't even have to read, but if you can play the piano, um, you can get some, you can earn money in a pub pretty much anywhere in the world. We well, used, well, used to be able to. Used to be able to, yeah. yeah. You know. So there was, I think Dad was of that opinion. He, you know, it was a jolly good to be in a, play music and all that kind of stuff. But when it comes to earning money, you're going to have to knuckle yeah. down and do mm. a job. I think deep down, that's what mm. he thought. Well, I, I, I had a teacher know. at school, physics teacher, who slapped me around the back of the head because I was playing, I was waiting for the class to open. I took my guitar to school a lot so I could practice in breaks and stuff. And uh, I was sitting there playing. And he's, you know, stupid. You can see I'm holding a guitar and playing. So what are you doing, Fairbrass? So I'm playing my guitar. And uh, he said, you can't make any money out of that. I said, well, Paul McCartney does. He went, bang, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> around the head. Yes. <laughs> I hope he uh, lived well, long enough. That's all I can say. I really did. Because yeah. <laughs> then he might think differently. Um, yeah. The first band that I read about was the actors. Now, I've been trying to yeah. look and find anything on, on the actors, and I couldn't find anything. What... What sort of band was it and what sort of music did you play back then? The actors was sort of, um, it was pop, but it was a little bit odd. We had some, we had a very, very good guitar player called Mike Gerrard. So we, we, we gave him the room to be quite experimental and, and we did quite long instrumental sections. Mm. Uh, although, and it was quite energetic most of the time. Perhaps sort of power poppy. A little bit power poppy, yeah. but with sort of, moments of instrumentals thrown in so we, we were on this we our first tour was 1978 and we we're on the road with suicide who were a new york duo electronic duo and through that we did gigs with um uh joy, joy division yeah. and i think the addicts and some other bands um but we never really fitted in we always we we we, we weren't really we were upbeat but not punky and the whole thames beat and power pop thing passed us by, passed yeah. us by. So we were, we had a lot of interest. We got we got picked up by various little independent labels when nothing happens. Then we got uh, we got some very good reviews, and basically the thing just petered out after about three years. Yeah. And then Richard and I picked up. Um, uh, then we went, moved to London pretty much, and then we started just writing with other people, playing other bands. So um, we've got a lot of memorabilia from the actors. We've got um, posters, uh, posters, and, and a, a quite extensive quite an extensive gig sheet. Yeah. And we did, you know, the Nashville, the Marquee, uh, Hope and Anchor. Yeah. We did pretty much all the main gigs in London and, Which all gone. and colleges, you know. Um, so we did that. And then we basically, we, we just 
morphed from one band to another. We were in a, again, we were in and out of record deals um, all through the eighties, some appalling and I'm pleased they just didn't happen. Um, <laughs> and then the biggest deal we signed was Capital EMI in America, in New York. Uh, and again, that just didn't happen. The, the money disappeared into somebody's back pocket. Um, we never actually, we, we completed the um, sort of album demos, but we never even started the album. The money just went. Yeah. So um, at which point, this is like 1987-88, which point we just think, we're not interested in a record deal. Fuck these we, people. We got really bored of the idea. Yeah, you know? I got tired of asking for permission. I got tired of waiting for them. So we just said, look, so that, that was the idea. When we eventually recorded Don't Be Sexy, the whole point of that was, and us meeting, hooking up with Rob Manzoli, was to let's write a song that none of us have written before. So we, all your ideas we don't want to hear and all our ideas you're not going to hear. Let's write a brand new song. So um, can I take you back a bit, though, before we get to the to, sorry, yeah, sorry. because I want to go back to the, the 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 era where, you know, where you were on stage and you toured and you were supporting yeah. suicide and you were, you know, yes. and, and these really, you know, big artists. I mean, suicide was a, a very instrumental artist very, in terms of were. electronic music. You know, people yeah, look yeah. back and, and, and absolutely the groundbreaking. Well, yeah, they were they were really groundbreaking. Yeah, what yeah. did you learn from them and what do you feel that they may have gleaned from you because people always say what they learn from other people but they never ever offer what they feel like other people may have taken from them yeah i mean i think that the only thing I, I didn't i had never experienced electronic music until i heard suicide i didn't know anything it, about it it was a head fuck wasn't it, it was i it really was and i didn't like it i, I thought it was far too loud and and uh, I don't know. I, I I suppose I I I was a bit out of place really because I kept, we came from the countryside, a very sort of conservative town, um, and then we were mixing with all these alternative type people, and, and I didn't truly understand what was going on. I don't think that I would unless Fred, you know, says different. I don't think they gleaned anything from us at all. The the one no. thing that I gleaned from them was the was volume. That's what I got. And the importance of the of the base end, I suddenly was really aware of that. But okay, tell that, me about that. What is what is the importance of the base end? What is important? Well, it, it's it's um, the 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 base. Um, it's a frequency. That's it's, it's the a sub base they use. Sub, yeah, the sub base sure. that they use, and also the base as a, as an instrument can color a track completely. Um, it 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 can define the personality of a track much more than I than I thought it could. Um, and I can remember we, we did a gig in Leeds, I think, and the gig was in this in, in this rather isolated kind of uh, a club that I, I seem to remember. And we had gone off after the sound check to get a bite to eat, and we were walking back to the gig. And, and 50 yards from the gig, you could hear this, <laughs> this noise. And that's when I suddenly thought, this is, I'd never experienced it before. I, I didn't, because all the, you know, all the bass players that I've grown up with, Paul, I mean, Paul McCartney or, you know, Bill Wyman or whatever, you know, that whole sub-bass thing was new to us, completely new to us. Yeah, it was, yeah. Um, so I think we learned, uh, the one thing that I think other people can learn from us, the only thing is perseverance. Well, I think that's what... I, I think that's the one thing. Really. Uh, yeah, I, I think yeah. That's, that's what we, we got from Suicide. They, they've got a lot of friction from the audiences. Most of the audiences were pretty hostile mm. um, to them and they just stood their ground. They did not flinch. Um, Martin, um, uh, Alan Vega was just—I didn't realize at the time—but he had—he was a pretty ballsy guy, and uh, he would just get on and do his thing. 
And sometimes they went along to a script to a certain degree, he stuck to the song, but he also, because the, 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 the uh, relentless groove and keyboards that Marty Rever set up, um, they were really uncompromising completely and basically and he you know he wouldn't take any shit no he wasn't he like, wasn't a big guy but he wouldn't take any shit from anybody a bit like that clip of um twisted sister yeah yeah <laughs> where the guy just goes completely yeah at reading at reading yeah you know? and, um, I, and I, I i admire bands like whether i like their music or not it's irrelevant it, but i i admire these bands that just this is what we do if you don't like it fine yeah if you do like it great you yeah, know yeah um you have to be like that. there's not much there was very little compromise i don't think they learned anything from us but one thing also i learned from them is that musicians should stick together because we got screwed on the tour a couple of times mm. and they put their foot down and they said the band needs a hotel room fine one they were very adamant about that. You can't. Now, when you say the band needs a hotel room, didn't the band have a hotel room? No, no, no. We no. What, what did they? What were they thinking? Where the well, fuck they, are you going to sleep? In the van. In the van. In yeah. The van. <laughs> but the the, the, the 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 there was no room in the van because the van was full of suicide's gear. We part of the deal was we would we were we were the support band, the the uh, roadies and the PA. and the PA the PA high guys. Yeah. So we supplied everything, and that's how we got the tour. So we couldn't have slept in the van if we wanted to because all, all, all the shit was in there. So they were very they said you can't not put these boys in a fucking hotel room you know and they were very adamant about that and one day we didn't get paid so between them and our drummer tommy o'donnell who was also very um ballsy ballsy they just went into, <laughs> they just went into the promoter's office and and threatened him basically and the, and the, and the money appeared yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah and you learn you you do learn on the circuit um in the when we started off you you have to develop a thick skin and you, yeah, you have you to develop you know, a, a fairly aggressive attitude, uh, if only in self-defense, because uh, everybody's out to, I mean, there was one, at one gig, I shan't name where it is, but the landlord was arrested because when they, if they found all the, lots of bands that had been playing down there, half their gear was up in his bedroom. He was nicking it. He was nicking it while... <laughs> and clothes. And clothes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, you know... I think you, we're getting to the core of what was behind yeah, you know, him now. <laughs> yeah. You, know, you have to... If, when you leave the stage uh, for after sound check, you have to take all your pedals with you in case they get nicked. Even before, we occasionally yeah. we get an encore um, in, in the early days, occasionally. And we were at the Rock Garden, we got an encore. When I walked back on, all my pedals are gone. Yeah. Someone had just leaned over and nicked all my pedals yeah. and just fucking walked out of the club. Yeah. And so we, we, we grew a fairly um, aggressive attitude towards the industry. Um, we... We uh, we just we were quite trusting to begin with, um, and still too trusting for years a few few years after that. Mm. But overall, we're we're fairly cynical and um, and we're quite um, aggressive in certain in certain um, situations. If people, yeah. if we think people are just taking the piss, then we have um, explained to them in no uncertain terms that this is, could end very badly for them. So we have we do we have gone down that road a couple of times because we just won't. We won't be um, fucked around like that. Yeah. I think that's yeah. why management has always had trouble. We, but one, that's why we haven't really settled with management at yeah. all, ever. Yeah. Because management rarely, or the management we've had, rarely sees things as we do. Um, and that's where the, the, that's where the friction... Uh, and they're compromised. People, and management are always... Everybody's compromised one way or the other. Yeah. Um, so, and we had one guy, I think, who, um, who was charging us for flights to go and do some business on our behalf to Germany or wherever it was. And then we found out he was also doing business for about four other bands. Probably charging them. I'm charging them too. 
<laughs> so yeah, you know, you, you just live and learn. You know, that's just you know, you, that's, yeah, that's it. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think the music industry for a long, long period, and maybe even today, because I'm not that associated with it anymore. But for a long, long period, was very corrupt. It always reminded me of my yes. father, who was a market trader, oh. and. You know, and behind the market trader, there were always friends of his who were would disappear. Yes, <laughs> yes. We'd never know whatever what happened. happened to the man yeah. with the teddy yep. bears down the road, sort of, yeah. and, and all these sort of things. Um, one of the, we were talking sorry. about this. One of the things, very briefly, is that because the I mean, back in the day, there was a load of money swashing, sort of swilling around in the business. You know, one way or the other, with tours and massive sales and all that kind of stuff. So that it, it attracted a whole load of, of, of fairly unpleasant people who thought they could make a killing fairly quickly. Mm. The music industry does not have that, that, that money anymore, anything like it used to, and bands certainly don't because the, the sales have dropped and touring is much more difficult and expensive than it ever was. So you, it, it's probably not a bad time now in terms of you know, anybody that was in the business for the wrong reasons has probably you know, gone into something else now i don't Maybe. know what you know so i, I don't know we hope so. yeah we, we, we would hope so the business doesn't need uh, doesn't need people like that but generally speaking you know we i, I think most bands live and learn you get every band gets ripped off in one way or the other mm. our story is not particularly unique you know no it's not yeah well i think one thing that is unique about it is that you cut your teeth over the years in various areas like Just richard as a session musician yeah, yeah. and Maybe you can tell me what a session musician—I can't even say the word—what a <laughs> session musician really does. Um, are they are they just there to actually play what the artist wants, or do they contribute in some way? Well, I mean, the only the only way I play—I mean, I'm slow, so I'm not the most um, you know the most uh, economically <laughs> viable session musician out there, <laughs> you know. Um, and I wouldn't want to do anything where I couldn't put ideas in. I mean, that, that's the whole, that, that's the enjoyable part. I think it depends what kind of, I imagine if you're the bass player with Steely Dan, um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's note by note by note and you missed a quaver there, so can we do it again and all that, you know, that's my impression. Um, whereas if you're, a, you know, if you're the bass player with Lou Reed or somebody, then it's probably a little bit looser. Yeah. It depends on the act, but I, I wouldn't, you know, I, I enjoy coming up with ideas. So it just, you know, just being instructed to do this or to do that would not appeal to me greatly. So yeah, what did you, what did you bring to Boy George? What did you bring to Mick oh, Jagger? Well, the, the, the Mick Jagger stuff we both did, and that that wasn't, a, they weren't studio sessions. They were promo sessions. Yeah, yeah. They were promo gigs. Um, and same with David Bowie. Um, but the stuff, um, stuff I did with Dylan was live. So that was just basically playing what had already been pre-recorded on tracks. They just wanted the track to sound the same. So I was the second guitar player. Uh, Red Beach was the first guitar, uh, guitar one. So I was basically doing rhythm parts, pretty basic stuff, really. Um, and so, we, so we, we, were never, we were never in the studio. We were never hired in studios because people wanted to hear our ideas. Um, <laughs> that, that, that never happened. Um, and, and it does, we, we have used a lot of session players. And they are generally incredibly competent musicians. Rarely are they very inventive. They are. They tend to have a, a way of playing and, and or approach to music that's quite conservative. Um, you get you get exceptions like Phil Spaulding, who played bass with us. He was very inventive. We had a drummer called Chuck Saber, yeah. very inventive guy. Um, most of the guitar players we've worked with are very conservative and you know don't really think outside the box. Um, but we've been blessed. We've, we've worked with some very, very good players. But in terms of invention, 
Uh, there's only there's only a handful who've been very inventive. Yeah, I, th yeah. I think in actual fact we learned more from that, that experience uh, working with those people. Yes, yeah, we learned more from that than we did um, from you know doing the doing the sort of the the, the stuff with the, with the band in the early days. So what did you learn? Well, I learned that basically there's nothing particularly unique about it. There's nothing particularly. These people are all people. Yeah, that's what they are. David Bowie was just a bloke. You know, and so you know, when people get, I, I've never had a hero ever in my life, you know, because I recognize the simple fact that they're all people. And mm. as Bob Dylan said, even the president of the United States has to stand naked at some point. So once you get that in your head, and I remember when I did the Bowie thing, I walked past his Winnie Bago and he was standing there in his underpants. And I just remember thinking, well, it's a bloke. <laughs> it's just a bloke. Yeah. You know, and they would, I don't think David Bowie was like this, but there are certain stars out there who want us to believe there's something close to the angels something close to god they're not they're just people and uh, some people some of them are immensely gifted and some of them are less gifted yeah. but they are just people yeah. we did a show with um with james brown in uh, boston mm. and uh, he yeah. he uh, he came, he, the limo drove up the side of the stage and he came out and became James Brown for 20 minutes. And, and, and same thing, he was just this guy, just this, this dude who'd been around a long time. He's got this brilliant legacy. He, he saw green suit. He had a green suit and he did 20 minutes. The band played for about an hour and a half, but he only did 20 minutes. Yeah. And, um, and he was just a bloke and he said hi and bye and that. Do you know what I mean? He, he wasn't, he was just this guy who was, happened to be quite brilliant. Mm. Um, and I, and I think that's what we've, that's what we've discovered. We've done a lot of shows with a lot of different bands and, you know, all sorts of people. Um, and I met lots of famous sort of people. Most of them are just regular people. And most of them are quite nice. It's the, the, the egos and stuff tend to happen, in our experience, tend to happen further down, further the, down. Further yeah. down the food chain, particularly, particularly bands that have been put together as a project where in fact they have no control because that's been that's that's that that's the that's the deal that's the nature of their deal and they tend to be a little bit more egotistical and and defensive and demanding and demanding because mm -hmm. i think they know that in reality they're not actually in control at all well it's a spinal tap moment yeah, it? When it the is, meat yeah. doesn't the meat doesn't fit the role <laughs> yes. you know, it's that, yeah, sandwich, you know yeah. he's obsessed with the meat fitting the role because that's the, that's where the only power he's got left yeah left right, yeah. you know um because there's a whole bunch of people around you telling you where to go what to do mm. and also we've never been um dazzled by the fame thing particularly uh, we, we've we've always uh, seen, not seen through it that, that implies that we're special but no it's it's just it we doesn't like it we just didn't like it really you know the red carpet thing and i don't know i just, it was we just maybe i don't know what it is i don't know we just weren't I remember once we went to, we were invited to a big red carpet thing and John Travolta was there and the whole thing, you know, and we get there, Leicester Square, back in the day, hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of people, you know, the red carpet and the theatre, lights everywhere. And we got there and up, simultaneously, our hearts just sunk. It was like, oh, this is going to be awful. This is going to be, we didn't think, oh, hey, this is going to be great. So we went, there's a pub just up the road from Leicester Square and we went and got bladdered in there. And completely, and then we managed to do it. Yeah, we, yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah, we're drunk. So, yeah. Um, I love that red carpet thing because sometimes people walk up it and they don't get noticed, so they sneak yeah. around the back and then they do it again. Yeah. Try again, again. <laughs> and then you think, "Oh my God, that's so sad." But do you think then, like the image that are, that? 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. The music industry can build up for you, whether it's a yes. record company or whether yes. it's, I don't know, from your own management, can be, can be a dangerous thing for your own life. Oh, completely. Yeah, very much so. And also you start to think, first of all, you think that you think it's very easy to forget you're self-employed and you actually are in control of your own destiny because record labels and managers have no interest in letting you know that. So what happened with us when the, we, we, we had no intention of becoming famous or being celebrities. We just wanted to put a record out, which was I'm Too Sexy. That was it. And the nature of that record took us into very much a celebrity world, very much Saturday night, Friday night TV, tabloids. We didn't know it was going to happen. We had, and never talked about it. Never mentioned also, once. I think we thought everybody did it. <laughs> Thought, yeah, we did. This is, yeah. how, this, is how, this is the business. This is what yeah. it is. And then, you know, gradually you realise over time, actually, you don't have to get up at five in the morning to do some cookery thing, mm. you know, on TV in the morning. You don't, you know, if it's not part of what you are, it's, you know, it, it's really, really important to know who you are and, and not get sidetracked by the people around you. We definitely got sidetracked. And we got sidetracked in the, for the first four or five years. We were definitely sidetracked. Um, I mean, one of the things about I'm Too Sexy, you mentioned it already, is the baseline is that yeah. you know, there's a strong base in it. The other mm. thing is that you had a period of living in New York, which I think contributed to the idea. Very and also so. the fact that I don't know whether you owned a gym or you were working in a gym, but working. you're working in a gym. And, yeah. and also that working in the gym contributed to the yes, idea. Can you put all those things together and tell me about how that really came up over those years? Um, well, the New York thing, we went to New York to um, become famous. You know, that's, that's where, well, that's all, yeah, get a deal. Get a deal and do all something. That. Do something. <laughs> um, New York was really good for us, I think, looking back, because we were on our own. We had, mum and dad were not there to, to rescue us. We were on our own. Um, we were living in a, in a crack house, basically. And, um, uh, and when working, I was working in a gym. Fred was working in some dodgy cafe down downtown. I was working on the uh, in the Astor Place. In Astor Place. Yes. Um, so I th- it, it put us on our metal a little bit, um, and and I think we became much more independent minded, independently minded, and uh, 
and a, and a, and a little bit more aggressive, I think. Mm. Um, New York doesn't it doesn't take prisoners back. It, well, yeah. may, I don't know. What it was slightly. Now. It was just pre Giuliani, so mm. it was very. It was still you know the, the rotten apple, if you like. It was very loads of loads of um, violence on the streets. It was very fast paced. It was it, it it wasn't in the slightest bit empathetic to your how you were feeling that day. No. And we learned the hard way. We we came up with, we came across some pretty scary people. And um, and we just thought, well, we got about that. We, we, we Richard worked in Nell's, which was a very famous club. Um, we worked. Uh, Richard worked in the gym. I worked in uh, uh, art cafe and somewhere else. And and these were all quite. These were, the art cafe I worked in was sort of where the um, the a lot of the um, traders would, would would come and drink and eat. <clears throat> Lots of beautiful people floating around and stuff. And um, and that's. And also we got involved in, well, we, we, we met quite a few sort of, um, not celebs, but they, the nightclub people, you know, the, you know that, that lot. And so it was, it, sexy came out of that. It was, it, we, yeah, there were these people that were basically too sexy for their shirt. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And uh, then when we got back to the UK, we worked in the gym. And so you come a lot across, across a lot of hedonism, narcissism. Um, and that's partly when we started writing the lyrics, that's what we fed off. We just yeah. thought this, this is what this is about, you know. Well, I think and you threw away all the tracks in the past. You said that yeah. earlier, that you decided you didn't want to do anything you'd done before. You wanted yes. to do something completely different. Yes. That, yeah. That's pretty much, yes. we did uh, the chorus of Deeply Dippy. Oh my, I love that one. Well, that's, a, that, that's an old chorus we had yeah. from, a, from a previous song. Trying to grab all the groceries in one trip? Oof, not how you would have done that. You know sometimes less is more. Like when you drive less and save with the USAA annual mileage discount. USAA, get a quote today. And that just happened to fit that song. So we did, we, we rescued that. But yeah. everything else was, was brand new. Yeah. One of the things that's weird, I think, is that people say to us, oh, you know, when it comes to this whole COVID thing, oh, you know, we're really surprised you guys are speaking out, you know, because I'm too sexy, you look so... I think people assume that we were going to be client, either stupid or pliant or something. Mm. Um, but actually, you don't you don't make a record like I'm too sexy if you're obsessed with what people think. No, you don't, no. You just don't. Because it's... You, it's it, it, when I listen, when I think about the track, it's, it's so bizarre, really. And I didn't realise that it was bizarre at the time, but we had nothing to lose and we didn't really care what people thought. It was obviously ironic, but then I'm English. So yes, I yes. sort of see the irony, but I can imagine in America at that time, yeah. that maybe it was seen as something else because well, irony doesn't really exist so much. It no, it doesn't. doesn't. No. no, I mean, the Americans were overall way more supportive than the, the, the music industry and the media in America were way more supportive than the UK. Mm. Uh, from the very off, we had... Uh, endless problems with the media and certainly the music business. Music business couldn't fucking stand us. Um, and uh, <laughs> I can see why now. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> and, and, and yeah, and, and even it was. I think it was partly because they knew they'd all thrown away the opportunity to sign a very lucrative song. Uh, I think that that annoyed them that we proved them to be so wrong. Um, and also, it was because we 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 called them out. We just we. We were pretty um, not unpleasant. What's the word? We, uh, we did. We we weren't in awe of them at all. And once sexy kicked off, we and when sexy was massive, we still weren't signed. It was only a letter of intent. It was an email of intent. 
And suddenly Sony and the rest of the sort of it bods steamed in with crazy money to lure us away. We said, well, you didn't want it in the first place. Why do you want it now? So it's clearly not a musical decision. You just want you just want the money. So we stuck with the independent label, which was a good idea and a bad idea e e equally. Yeah. Um, so uh, but it, but it, it, um, it dawned on us very quickly how our, we weren't that popular with the industry, because when we went to the Brits in 90. Three or was it two? Uh, three, I think. Two or three, I, I yeah. can't remember. No, two, it was two. Was it two? And we were clearly the breakout band of that year. We clearly were. We had number one in America, as a, you know, and they just blanked us. Brits just blanked us. So we, at, at that point, I just thought, okay, we're not part of the BPI, this record label. Um, we don't fit. This is, this is how this is going to go. I think it's the fitting thing. That, yeah. That, I think it's the fitting yeah. thing. We just, you know, we weren't pretty. We weren't 22. We didn't <laughs> dance. Do you know what I mean? We just, you know, we were a bit mouthy. Mm. I just think we, we, we you know, and the, the, the track that I'm Too Sexy was a bit of some, it's, it's a Marmite track. You know, you either love it or you hate it. It's one of those mm. things, you know. Um, we weren't mainstream. Um, so I think, I mean, one of the interesting things, for instance, we just had this number one in America just recently with uh, Drake. All, our, all the interview requests and all the interest came from the States. We haven't had one interview request from from any of the media in the UK. In the UK. Well, it touches. But no, but no. we've had Rolling Stone, Billboard, uh, TMZ, I mean, loads of stuff in America. But, I um, mean, I want to come to that later because there is this yeah. like turn in, in your career and part, it's, you know, to do with Taylor Swift, it's to do with Jay-Z, it's to do with, yeah. with uh, being played in certain movies and so on and so forth. Yeah. But suddenly there's been a, a sort of turn where it's, it's almost like uh, the credibility that you never felt is yeah. somehow coming back, you know, little, today. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's sort of yes. paid back today. Yeah. But you talked about that, you know, when I'm Too Sexy came out and that video came out and, I mean, it was absolutely massive. And you said before you, you know, the, the big labels were trying to trying to get you. Exactly. you know, you'd only signed a sort of email let, letter of intent or whatever it would yeah. be called. Exactly right. Um, do, do you think that that... There were so many people that didn't believe in you. This is what I've read. And yes. one of them was, and this is this was presumably a friend. Do you remember Jake from Browns? And apparently oh. he bet you that if you got to number one, he'd give you a free party. Because my mate at that time used to work on top of the pops, or she went uh, in to do oh, makeup right. for one of yeah. the people on top of yeah. the pops, and you yeah. invited her to the party. And she yeah. told me about it today and said, yeah, Jake had said, because we used to go there, Jake had said, you know, like, you're never going to get to number one with that. You're never getting anywhere with that. And so you had to eat his words. Yeah. But this, well, there are a lot of people that ate humble pie because um, of the success of that track. I think if they did, they didn't, they didn't do any eating in front of us. No. <laughs> they, no they, they kept it very private. You yeah, know? Exactly. yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. we, even the record label that we ended up working with, which was... Um, Tug Records. They didn't like us either, and uh, and they they everybody hates yeah, us. They and, and part part of the reason is is because Richard and I are just difficult to a degree to work with, uh, because we say what we think all the time, and uh, if and we you know for example when you're shooting a video I'm sure other bands have noticed this uh, record companies don't bother turning up first thing in the morning because all they want to turn up is for lunch when the lunch turns up at one o'clock. Or, or the or the evening meal, um, and we never really 
I'm sure some bands have, they've experienced great A&R guys and really good label managers. And they are out there. They are out there. We just personally never have. Yeah. Um, the record label we worked with was just poisonous and you know, an independent. You think they'd, they'd act a bit more uh, altruistically, but that was beyond them. Um, and they were equally... Um, um, manip then what happened was, sorry, go back. The reason I think part of the reason was is that we eventually signed a record deal on the back of I'm Too Sexy, Don't Talk, Just Kiss and the pre-sales of the first album. So we were in a very powerful position. And we, as I understand it, our lawyer beat them up royally. And they they kept that with them. They they wanted to screw us over one way or another, which, which they did. Um, and and I think there's there's the, there's a I think in the record labels what annoys a lot of record company people is they don't get validation and I'm sure some deserve it because some have got good ears some do put good projects together and yeah. there have been some very good guys in, in the music business of course but I think you know if you take a band who probably isn't that talented like a um, you know, a boy band or girl band and it's probably the people behind them who have the talent it's, it's maybe a Simon Fuller or, or whoever right. and they're the they're the people with the vision but they don't get the recognition I think there's a there's a there's a um, a bit of spite and malice and and jealousy that goes on that the wrong people are getting the credit I think that happens in the music business a lot there's also there's also the pretense that everybody knows what that everybody knows what they're doing oh yeah yeah and the truth that's is it's, it's, it's a horse race yeah that's the truth yeah it's and a bit of a cliche, always, isn't it? It's a bit like if you if you can't do, you work in the record company. You know what yeah, I mean? I think there's yeah, a, there's well, a yeah, there is, and maybe there's, there's some there. truth in a cliche. Yeah, they try, yes. well, basically, they try to they try to sort of mathematize it, if you like, you know, with odds and 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 midweeks, mm. and they try and turn it into numbers. Um, and it's I, I just and everybody's pretending the you know, bands pretend that they know what's going on. The management pretends that they know what's going on. The record label pretends that they know what's going. On. And the whole thing is is a bit of an illusion, really. Mm. Um, and very often when things do take off, and when we had some, some big success in Germany, everything is trying to catch up. It's not a question, you know what I mean? It's not a question that this is all planned. It's oh my god, it's gone number two. Oh my god, and suddenly there's this, this is oh my god, you know. <laughs> It, it, there's, there's always this sense of panic yeah. uh, um, and 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 uh, and innocence in, mm. in a funny kind of way, you know. Um, but we we're happier now than we've than we've ever been, to be, to be honest. Yeah, uh, overall we are. Well, I mean, we financially it's a bit of a headache, but uh, yeah, financially. Oh come on, Drake, that must help. No, no, but well, that yeah. won't happen until next year. Yeah, and, and also the the yeah the royalties aren't what they were they just they, they they just aren't i mean even with i mean as fabulous as the taylor swift thing was it's it nothing compared to the the numbers we saw in the 90s just yeah. just just nothing so um it, 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 but it's but i'm not i'm not, not no complaints still we've been incredibly fortunate and god god bless taylor swift and drake you yeah know? exactly but did it, you it did you actually do invest your money at the time did you actually do or or were you like me <laughs> <laughs> no, we've, we, we've we've been relatively careful. Yeah, we invested, but we've also been. The trouble is when we invest in ourselves, which we do all the time, all the time, we aren't. Uh, quite often, our heart gets in the way of our head, so we will invest too much money in ourselves in like an album project or something or something. We bought a model agency while we thought uh, at one point. <laughs> Can you imagine? Yeah, we bought this model agency where we were convinced we knew what we were doing and yeah. we, we lost a ton of money on that. Yeah. Um, and we've done other projects that we do. I'm not believe. sure that was that was a heart decision. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah. yeah I think there's an ulterior motive going on there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, and we did some other stuff. We just um, invested in albums on, on our own label that um, that what we yeah we got carried away with the just got sidetracked by the music and we forgot that we actually should have a budget on this. Yeah. So in, and on that note, my heart does go out to loads of to record companies because they have a, a hell of a job to make ends meet. Yeah, uh, it seems like they don't, but I know having run our own label, it's bloody hard. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. You know, it's easy to criticise these people, which I do, but also they do have a, it's a tough gig. It is, it is. How did you deal with fame at the beginning? Because it was an explosion. It wasn't just, you know, a slow yes. progress to being famous. You were Not like... Not very well, I don't think. Not very well. No. Can you tell me what um, it was like? Give me some it, idea. It was, what it was, I, I have one memory in my head and I was in, I was in, in, I was living in Putney. I was in Robert Dias buying, I don't know, a bag of nails or something. I don't know what I was buying. And, um, Suddenly there was like dozens and dozens of people looking through the glass, at, you know, outside mm. from the pavement. And I just thought the building was on fire. What are they looking at? I don't understand what they're looking at. And then I realised it was me. And I, and I ran out the back. <laughs> and that's when it first began to dawn on me, I think. But we never, um, we only, I think, became truly aware of it when it was over. When we were looking at it, we were from, in the eye of the storm. When you're in the eye of the storm, you don't really see it. Mm. It's, it it's only when we were, you know, a few years later, and I thought, you know, when we met the Queen and and all that kind of stuff, I look, I look back and I think, my God, this is it's, it. Really, actually, was when I think of the money that I spent on my first house, mm. doing up the bedroom, the curtains for fourteen grand. Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's you know. So I that that sort of stuff sticks with me a lot. Yeah. I mean, one thing about being in the public eye. Now I had it on a very low level being a presenter on MTV, but I was in the public eye. And because I'm a gay man, and I know that you're bisexual, that I'm a gay man. Yeah. And that was something that came up. Are you allowed to be gay on MTV? And this was in a, this was in 1987. This was in an era where it was much less acceptable. Right. And I didn't really want my private life out in the public. And I remember going to the MTV launch party in Amsterdam and the News of the World, you remember that, News of the Spring. Yeah. They come yeah. up to me and they said, we know all about you. <laughs> and walked off and I thought, oh shit, do they know? <laughs> thought, do, they, do they know something I don't know? Yeah, and, yeah. Um, and for you, it suddenly became public that your relationship with Stuart and yes, being bisexual yes. became uh, a public issue. How yes. difficult was that to deal with? I know that was a bit of a later era, so yes. probably not as much, but was yes. that a difficult issue for you? Yeah, it was it was really difficult for me because um, Stuart was HIV. It had been, you know, for years and years and years. Um, and the the press attacks on me inevitably filtered through to him. So it, that that's what I found really um, upsetting. They 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 suddenly um, they chose him as a target as much as me. Yeah, they did. Yeah, and he yeah. couldn't answer back. He you know he had no he had no platform, if you like. Um, so that that it did make it very difficult. And for him, he couldn't really work at the time because he was too ill. So he was trapped in that, not trapped, but he was in the house, you know, with HIV, not always feeling that great, while I was, you know, flying all over the world doing this kind of, you know, I'm too sexy with my shirt stuff, you know. So that was a very um, unhappy time, actually. It was, it was, it was a really, it's very tough to balance that. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was yeah. really, really difficult. And, um, and mum, 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 mum cried for a year yeah, when I came out. Dad, dad had died a couple, <laughs> a couple of years before. So uh, mum was. Was this news to your mum? Oh yes, yeah. Oh, it's something that came out of the blue. Yeah, all right. They say mums know. Mum, my mum, our mum didn't know at all. No, no, no. My mum said did. Funny enough, yeah. Mum would have been mum would have been the, the sort of mum that the craze would have had. We could have we could do no wrong. Yeah, 
it was impossible for us to do actually any wrong at all. We could have... My boys. Yeah, we could have shot someone in the front room <laughs> and she would have made an excuse for it. Yeah, you know? yes. Yeah, we could have put... We, yeah, we could have done anything. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, she, um, yeah. Dad, I think Dad had a suspicion because I remember going for a walk with him. Yeah, I used to take the train down to see him in the West Country and then walk back with Dad to, to, to the cottage. And Dad would say things like, so this Stuart chap, what, what does he do for a living? Well, he's a hairdresser. <laughs> uh, right, that's tick, tick number one. <laughs> so how long have you known Stuart? Oh, about 10 years. Oh, tick number two. Yeah. So where does he live? Oh, he lives with me. Yeah. Tick number three. <laughs> so gradually... <laughs> so God bless Dad. I think he was sort of fishing. Yeah. Um, maybe Mum knew and she just blanked it off. She didn't... Do you know what I mean? She just didn't want to face it. I don't he know. said at the beginning that they had gay friends, or they had a, uh, friends that yes, you yes, think yes, now yes. were probably gay. So yes. they were, obviously, either they were so blind, <laughs> yes, yes, or they actually didn't really want to know and everything was okay as long as they didn't know. I think that's yes, what it is. Yes. You know, it's the old saying, do what you, you can do what you like as long as you don't frighten the horses. Mm. You know, I think it's, there's an element of that about it. I think mum and dad, I think they, they had friends where they suspected something you know, uh, more a little unusual was going on, but I think they just they just um, they did the old Victorian thing, which is they just um, turned a blind. <laughs> yeah, shake the newspaper, shake the newspaper, newspaper. Shake the newspaper <laughs> light, light your pipe, and, and forget it. You know, <laughs> it'll <laughs> go away. Yeah, and also the, the, the gay thing back then was very um, it was quite militant, and it and it it, it wasn't a very yeah, it wasn't a very attractive um, thing to be gay. I mean, as 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 a, as, a, as part of a you know, this gay community, which I've never believed in, but that it, it was a fairly, um, I don't know, it, it had a political edge to it, which made it for some people very, very difficult yeah. to, to, uh, to accept. Um, and I've always felt the same with the trans issue. I've always felt it's, it's a personal issue. The minute you politicize it, and I know sometimes you do have to politicize it, but the minute you politicize it, it, it turns an awful lot of people off. But you have, you have, in a sense, um, I don't know if the words politicised it, but you've actually, when you went to Russia, I mean, you stood up yes. for this LGBTQ rights. You stood up yes. and, and, and made a point, which was a very, yes. you know, I thought that was bloody strong because I'm not sure I'd have the guts to do what you did. No, I mean, we, we didn't, I don't think we realised how aggressive it was going to be over there mm. until we actually got knocked about yeah and, and when, when we were told when we were invited to go and join the, the 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 event we weren't told it was a protest and march and we just it was an event yeah and it was it, it was a gay thing but it was also more to do with civil liberties the whole thing was wrapped up in that so we wandered we wandered along not knowing exactly what we were going walking into uh, but also we didn't know that the mayor of Russia ha hadn't given it a license. So the whole thing was illegal. So we, um, and once we got out the van, uh, the, the uh, people carrier thing, and just drove and off. Drove off and left us there. Yeah, a, a double quick <laughs> and left us there. We were, and the press were photographing, were filming these guys. <clears throat> they had these masks on and it was um, uh, like a, to stop them getting AIDS, you know. Well, we, I thought it was anti-pollution. The original was pollution. <laughs> So I said, no, you, how stupid am I? I said, no, you freaking donut. It's to do with, <laughs> this is an HIV thing. 
and they're all doing this sort of um, folk, folk sort of traditional rustle. Yeah, but, but, but it's sort of like yeah. whatever. That saved you from HIV. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. So <laughs> when the cameras saw us, they all swung away from these Russian guys and started filming us. You know, um, Reuters and CNN and Associated Press, all those people. And this really pissed these guys off. So we started getting beaten up and hit pretty quickly after that event. Uh, I got held, Richard got smacked in the face by yeah, I lost guy. my glasses. Yeah, I got held by coppers. And I don't remember at the time, but I must have got a bit of a kicking in the back because the next day I had really bad bruising on the back of my legs and the lower back. Um, and then we just, because we'd worked in Russia and the East before, you can't argue with these people because you will get a beating and the coppers won't intervene. They'll let it happen. Mm. It's it, it's it's not like it used to be over here. Um, so we just said the best thing. To, uh, our advice is to Make our it. advice to ourselves was to get the fuck out of there. So, <laughs> so we, we grabbed our stuff and we just legged it, and uh, it turned into a bit of a Benny Hill thing because there was us at the front, camera crews, the blokes who wanted to beat us up. <laughs> yeah, our tour manager trying to keep up with us. And event because we we worked there a lot, we know how corrupt it is. We saw these coppers buy like a burger van. And we gave them some money and we said, these blokes coming here, whack them. And they just got out their sticks and piled into them just because we paid them. One little old lady came up to me because I was I had blood on my face. One little old lady came up to me and gave me a tissue. Yes. I should never forget that. Yeah, act of kindness. Yeah, yeah. just that, that small act mm. of kindness, you know, mm. in a place that's, that was yeah, yeah. experience that was fundamentally brutal. Mm. And we, um, we hid out in an Italian restaurant um, until our flight very close to our flight. And I didn't feel safe until the wheels were up. Yeah. Not really. And that we actually phoned mum while we were in the airport because it was all on CNN. Yeah. And we didn't want mum to see it on the news before we told her. And otherwise she would have absolutely freaked. So we phoned mum from the airport um, and then and then ran onto the plane and, and kept our fingers crossed. That yeah. was it. Have you ever been back? Um, have we? We've been to... No, I don't think... Not to Russia, no. We've, no. Been, we've been to sort of... You know, Ukraine and some of the other places, you know, but not strictly speaking to Russia. No, no not mainland. We're, yeah, no. All, all the all the uh, ex-Soviet bloc. We're doing you know, uh, Baltics and Balkans. We've done a lot of stuff there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they're mostly pretty cool, to be honest with you. And Ukraine was a bit far, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Ukraine that, got a bit, Ukraine yeah, was a bit far. We, we we tend because I, maybe it's the, the the image we originally had with shirts off and all that sort of stuff. We don't tend to get much grief face to face. No, we have people. Um, you know, threats online and, and stuff like that. And a few people shouting occasionally from, you know, as they drive past in the car, they'll shout, you know, Baldy, snap it, you know. Most, but, but we it, knew that already. <laughs> like, like we don't know. Like we don't know, yeah. yeah. But, but we're, we're, we are very, very fortunate. I talk to other bands. Some bands do get quite a lot of stick. We don't get, we don't get that. Most, nine, you know, 99 times out of 100, people are nice and friendly. They want a selfie, they want to chat. Uh, particularly since the COVID thing. Yeah. Um, and um, uh, so, yeah, overall, we've been all right. We haven't really, haven't really had too much friction, have we? No, I mean, OK. okay. But to come on to what we were just, what I mentioned a little bit earlier, the fact that yeah. we've gone this full cycle in a way, that yeah. at first seen as being, you know, by musos and the music press as being a novelty act. Yes. And now today, you know, as I said, well, it started with Jay-Z, I think, and then it was Taylor Swift, and now... Um, with Drake, yes, uh, the credibility is sort of seeping in. Yes, yes. how does yes. that make you feel after all these years of of creating music that suddenly, um, you know, you're now being taken more seriously? I know you say in the UK it isn't, but it is being reported around the world. 
It is. Yes, yeah, it is. It yes. Is. I, 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 I think. Well, we're both obviously pleased. Yes, great. You know, absolutely. Um, yes, but, and I think the Drake track, particularly, yeah. is is excellent. Yeah. It's a really good track. I think they've done a really, really good yeah. job. Yeah. Um, there's an awful, it's, there's an awful lot of snobbery in uh, in, the, in the music business uh, and in the media with regards to the music business. So you'll have some artists who are continually pilloried for reasons which I don't understand, and other artists which are who are the flavour of the month, year in year out. Again, for reasons which I don't understand. So you just have to accept that. That's just the way it is. The press yeah. loves some people and hates other people. And, um, you know, we once if you get embroiled in that, it will give you a heart attack if you worry about it. The best thing you can do is to say, well, that's just that you hate me. That's fine. Just let it go. And there's nothing you can do about it. You know, you, the best thing you can do is just lead your life and, and say what you believe. That's... Uh, you know, there's an awful lot of co-opting going on in, in the business. Yeah, there a lot is, of yeah. artists who yeah, are yeah. Who, who are completely co-opted by the management or by the label or the publisher or whoever. And um, we aren't. We That's why we mm. just pretty much say what we think. Yeah, and we, we, we never get invited, although we've got two Ivers and three BMIs. <laughs> we never get invited anywhere. They, we, they don't invite us anywhere. It's <laughs> uh, so funny. I, I, get, I, I get emails from Basker. Uh, and they say, come and sit down with um, award-winning songwriters. And I just go back, I am an award-winning songwriter. <laughs> so why don't you fuck off? So why don't you fuck off? Yeah. <laughs> and it's so funny. They have never approached us. We've never been approached by no. any of the schools like BIM or those people. No. Um, and uh, you have these sort of, um, what they call these writing camps, which I think are a bit of a con, personally. I don't really... It doesn't feel right, yeah. but that it's it's just interesting. We we are very much marginalised. You know, they'll um they'll, they'll want to talk, to talk to certain writers, but if you've written deeply dippy and I'm too sexy and other songs like that, then you clearly are not someone who should be entertained to breathe. Be to breathe. <laughs> exactly. So, How important has it been for your survival, and I mean as human beings, mental survival, not for your survival as musicians, but your survival yeah. having a brother so close and supportive uh, on this journey because it feels like you're you're you've you've become uh, such a close unit and I yeah. don't know if you always were but a, you know I presume you argued as kids but you've become such a close yeah. supportive unit that yeah. actually that is your reliance you know your parents aren't around and this is now the family yeah. unit is that true? Yeah. Yes, it's a, it it's, is. Yeah, it, we, we, I mean, there's a, wasn't there a band called Corner Shop? I think we should be called Corner Shop. Maybe. Yes, yes, because that we, it's run like a family corner shop. It that's is. How, yeah. That's yeah. how we do it. You know, I think also if you, you imagine being you know, a Vici and people like that who work on worked on their own, it could it can be a very lonely, lonely place if mm. you're on your own, uh, which is why a lot of our solo artists take their best friend with them. Uh, for some level of support but if you're on your own you know you do the gig everybody's cheering you go back to the hotel you're on your own you've got the mini bar and and it's just it's it mm. must be a very very lonely place if you have nobody to bounce off you know? yeah, we, we, we tend to be on the same page with most stuff like um the way we feel about certain interviews or certain working in a certain way we tend to have we have, without even mentioning it we'll both come to the same opinion yeah uh, we differ with music quite a lot because we have different tastes in, in music so that sometimes... I've got good taste yes exactly I've got no taste Fred's got no taste at all yeah <laughs> uh, and, uh, and and also but we we are quite family orientated mum and dad it was a very we were very close to mum and dad um, uh, and we had a good upbringing my, my, my wife is African and she's incredibly is, um, in favour of the family unit 
Um, and so we, 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 we tend to have that. We do circle the wagons and we do tend to look after each other as best we can. And it's, yeah. even, and it's even more important now. Yeah, it is, yeah. It's yeah, even yeah, more important. Yeah, I yeah. think a lot of people through in the last couple of years, particularly if they're alone or if they're in a relationship that's not a happy one for whatever reason, this has been an extremely trying time. Um, and you know, mental, mental issues, homelessness and all that stuff, it all goes hand in hand. Um, so we are, you know, touch wood, we're very lucky. Yeah, we are. You know, yeah, yeah. Can't be blessed. Okay, with, with that in mind, right, mm -hmm. and talking about afterwards, you're going to talk about this interview and you're going to rape me. <laughs> not, <laughs> not at all. No, but, no we <laughs> Where am I? <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. No, we've... No, we're, fine. Yeah, yeah, and also we, 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 we used to... We used to rely on PR people and everyone else to do make these decisions for us. We, mm. we stopped that a while ago. Yeah. We decide who we speak to and don't speak to. Yeah. We, when we do our own research and and um, upsets people occasionally, but that's just it is what it is. And very often we're asked, you know, is there anything you won't talk about? And we, we say no. I mean, you can pretty much talk about anything. Yeah, we yeah pretty much we do talk about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't I don't really like the filtering thing. We've done loads of interviews in hotels where you're around other bands and they always have a filter always yeah, yeah, yeah. and i find that a bit tiresome and we just it's not it's just we we're, we're both a bit mouthy we both tend to say what we think um which is why our our careers have gone up and down <laughs> a lot yeah and uh, and that's just the way we are and I, I can't really be bothered anymore to try and um circumvent our particular uh, um the way we say stuff and some of some of my tweets have been logged at, at certain mainstream media <laughs> outlets because I, occasionally I get a little bit mouthy and you know look, glass of wine yeah hey, a glass of wine but, but yeah that's if it is what it is yeah well I think we're everybody's just a little bit too uptight about almost everything yeah these days, absolutely you know? yeah. we just need to, everybody needs to chill out and uh you know the perpetual offense taking in almost mm. everything it's a waste of time. Yeah. You know, if, yeah. if you don't like a TV program, turn it off. If you don't mm -hmm. like a, a comedian, don't go. I, I was watching a, um, uh, there's an American comedian called Norm MacDonald, who's recently died. I think he's very, very funny. And, uh, and a guy, he was, it was filmed at a gig and somebody at the heckler at the back shouted out, um, um, you're not funny. You're not being funny. Mm -hmm. And Norm MacDonald just handled it incredibly. And everybody said, throw him out, throw him out. And Norm MacDonald said, no, 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 let's find out what he, mm. let's find out why he thinks I'm not funny. And what, you know, and it turns out the guy loves Norm MacDonald. He just wanted to, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely loves him. Just wanted to be heard. That's all it was. Oh, okay. He just wanted to be heard. Right. And um, so it's, it's uh, you know, you, 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 it's very important that you don't take yourself too seriously and you yeah. just, uh, just be happy in your own skin and don't expect somebody else to make you happy. That is a brilliant sentence to end on because I yeah, yeah. it's really that true as well. It's yeah. you've made me very happy today. You sure, both have. You have in the past as well. And uh, <laughs> what I love about um, your music is the lyrics. Just you know, if we talk about "I'm too sexy," I mean, "I'm too sexy for my cat." You know, some <laughs> of those they're just masterpieces in the sense that you hear it once and you cannot not no. You know, it's just with yeah. you your whole life. Yeah. So, when, I'm, when I'm singing that in front of an audience, the bit I like is poor pussy, poor yeah. pussy cat, because that the poor pussy gets all the girls in the front. <laughs> and, 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 you know, you, you just get, give them that look and it's funny. It's yeah. just funny. It's not rude. It's not, it's just fun, you know? Yeah. 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 yeah brilliant, guys. Thanks again. Lovely, <laughs> lovely to meet you. And I wish you long years of, uh, success and maybe one day when you're in Germany again I'll come and see you on tour.
That'd be great. Cheers, mate. Thank you very much. Up there is an interview I recommend. Down there is where you can find all the podcast interviews. And here is where you can connect. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.